Hey there, welcome back to Accelerated Real Estate Investor with Josh Cantwell. I'm your host. And today I have a great, great conversation with you and for you with Spencer Gray. Spencer is the president of Gray Capital. He is the president. He leads and develops their investment strategy, performs due diligence and underwriting for all of their multifamily portfolio. They've been involved, and Spencer in particular has been involved in $1 billion of transactions. And check this out. He started with his first rental property in 2006 as a residential investor. So for those of you that are looking to grow and go from resi to commercial, resi to multifamily, this is a fantastic, fantastic interview and conversation, especially for you. Spencer actually started investing immediately out of high school. So also, if you're somebody that does not have an advanced degree, did not go to college, or somebody that even went to college and is not using their degree at all, this is a fantastic conversation about why going the entrepreneurial route immediately out of high school and foregoing an expensive college education, this is a true example of someone who has an amazing success without that advanced degree. Spencer is a true entrepreneur. He's founded several successful businesses in media distribution, real estate, and agriculture. He has extensive experience in real estate investing strategies and raising money. He's been doing that since 2006. He's also an avid rock climber, fly fisherman. He loves to free dive. If you're not familiar with that, free diving is diving deep into the ocean with no tanks and no diving gear. Pretty amazing stuff. Young guy. They also have Great Capital as an amazing newsletter that you're going to want to check out. And in this conversation, I think a couple of the major points that we discuss is number one, why the 2019 multifamily market is completely 180 degree different than the 2022 market that we're going to be experiencing next year. Number two, we're also going to talk about why the residential and multifamily markets are going to continue to grow because the top line revenue growth, the top line rent growth continues to grow. Number three, we're also going to talk about where and how to find Midwestern markets that have not only just cash flow, but also 15 and 20% appreciation similar to the Sun Belt, but that have cash flow opportunities because they're in the Midwest. And also, we're going to talk about elevated inflation and the ultimate role of the Federal Reserve and why they are not on your side. So this is an amazing interview with Spencer Gray. You're absolutely going to love it. Check it out. Here we go. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you're looking to retire early with forever passive income, you're in the right place. This podcast is the go-to destination for real estate investors, both active and passive, and multifamily apartment investors, both new, intermediate, and advanced. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So, hey, Spencer, listen, so excited to have you on Accelerated Real Estate Investor. Thanks for carving out some time. Hey, absolutely, Josh. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. 
Fantastic, guys. Listen, as you listen to this interview and this discussion, I think you're, we're going to really love this for a couple of reasons. Uh, Spencer and I are prepping for this. And we have a very, very similar path. Both started in Resi. Both started co-GPing and co-syndicating deals with joint venture partners. Scaled very fast. Then got to the point where we were doing a lot of our own deals with our own team, co-sponsoring our own loans, raising our own capital. Uh, so Spencer, I'm just going to have a very frank discussion about some of the things that have worked for him and me. Because I think, frankly, Spencer's path and my path is a path that every single one of you in this audience is listening can follow, starting with Resi and scaling up from there. So Spencer, welcome to the show. I'd love to hear some of the things that you're up to today. Literally, like right now, what are you yep. working on? What are you working on today? What are you working on next week that gets you going that you're passionate for? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, always looking for good deals, uh, making offers. You know, doing a lot of losing really good deals right now. But something we're, we've we've been focused on past couple of months, but really, we're really nailing it down right now. Is um, we're going to be launching a fund, kind of Q1 of 2022. So we're kind of figuring out the details of that process right now. We're sticking to kind of the strategies that we've been successful at the past, uh, you know, six years. Keep executing on good projects. Um, you know, trying to find inefficiencies in the multifamily space. You know, targeting stabilized multifamily assets primarily in the Midwest. But you know, moving to the fund model is going to make us much more competitive, much more agile, and to really continue to scale our portfolio and really just make us much more um, lethal in terms of being able to execute on deals. Nice. I love it. Tell me about the structure of the deals. Is it open-ended, close-ended? What types of deals is it going to target? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and to be honest, we're still working out some of the details, having conversations with some of our lead investors to kind of see what their their preferences are. Because you know we've been you know big proponents of doing single asset syndications for a long time, building out your own uh, diversified, you know, just bespoke portfolio, and and so really kind of leaning on kind of some preferences of our kind of existing investors. You know, most likely it'll be a close end fund. Just because you know most investors you know want some kind of kind of exit period, they don't want it to be necessarily indefinite. Although some investors you know do like the concept of really something that's more perpetual, continuing to go on for an extended period of time. But lean towards the close end route, be a hundred million dollar fund. We're going to go you know relatively large for our first fund, and yeah. So again, targeting stabilized assets, kind of the light value add to core plus, which has been our sweet spot, and um, yeah, we're we're excited to get going. Nice, fantastic stuff. And you focus on the Midwest, you mentioned. Correct. Why the Midwest? What are some of the things that you like, particularly about the Midwest? Obviously, so many people are really focused on the Sun Belt yep. and the South. I'm from Cleveland and I love the Midwest. Uh, we've got assets in the Sun Belt. We've got stuff in Atlanta. We've got stuff in Oklahoma. We've got a lot of stuff in the Ohio market where we're from. Yeah. I'm very, I love the Midwest. I don't yeah. want people coming. But, uh, you know, what was your thoughts on, on focusing on the Midwest? What did you like about it? Well, you know, first it was you know, just the natural market because I'm from the Midwest. Um, I'm you know born and raised in Indianapolis, and so investing in a market that I already understood, you know, made a lot of sense before I even started, you know, digging into you know, really other markets and really breaking down different regions, understanding kind of migration patterns, and so you know we already we kind of we started investing in you know really what we knew. But now, you know, knowing more and learning more about other markets, and you know how how popular you know, the Sun Belt is, you know, not only to you know new residents, people migrating from you know northern states, but also 
from investors and capital and seeing significant capital flows to those Sunbelt states. And what we started seeing as we started really trying to kind of get into those, some of those Sunbelt metros is that, you know, it's incredibly competitive. And, you know, sometimes the, the returns ended up being much less attractive compared to, you know, some of the projects we were finding in the Midwest and specifically in Indianapolis. And so what we started noticing is there's just this inefficiency in the market of where so many properties in those Sunbelt metros um, are getting, you know, bid up and for good reason, because they've got great stories, great growth metrics, and people are making a lot of money. What we found is the Midwest offers just a different return profile being more balanced, having slight, being slightly more weighted to cash flow and income, as well as getting appreciation compared to a lot of Sunbelt metros where there's so much growth and you're paying up for that growth. And the growth is, is certainly there. But the translation to that is you're usually having you know, a ramp up to cash flow starting at a you know, lower cash on cash. And then typically, you're going to still get a great equity multiple because you're going to sell it you know, at a low cap rate because that growth is continuing. But just a more balanced return profile in a lot of these Midwestern metros, they're still growing at similar growth rates, especially in some of the suburbs as a lot of Sunbelt metros. I mean, there's suburbs in Indianapolis that are just, our rent growth is, you know, 20% year over year and, you know, 2% annual population growth. But yeah, just- I love it. I love it. I love the fact that you're breaking down opportunities and sometimes it's so niche, right? It's so it's a small submarket that has some of those same growth patterns as the Sun Belt, many people are like, well, we're just going to the Sun Belt because that's where everyone's going. True. Yes. But there are other states. There are other markets. That exactly. Besides Houston and, and uh, Arizona and Tampa, Florida yes. and, uh, and Charlotte and those kind of areas, which is great. Spencer, I'm curious, what is your take on the market right now? You've obviously dug into it a little bit with some of the growth in the Sun Belt, but just generally, you know, there's so many different levers being pulled right now politically, economically inflationary. Just what, what are your thoughts and comments? What are you prepping for in the next couple of years? Yeah. I think that there's a perception of a great amount of uncertainty. And I mean, that there still are some things that we don't know and no one will know until things play out over the next couple of years. But the whole question of, you know, are we going to see inflation? That's no longer even, it's not a debate. It's, you know, we are seeing significant elevated levels of inflation. And the question is, you know, right. So how much and for how long, how persistent is, is it going to be? And, you know, looking at not just, you know, commercial real estate, but just markets in general, we're seeing all time highs. And what's fascinating is it's not necessarily just being driven only by speculation, but it's being driven by, you know, um, revenue growth and, and earnings, you know, whether you're looking at, you know, public securities, but in, you know, commercial real estate and in multifamily, I'm sure there's a lot of cap rate compression, but the, the growth that we're seeing is being driven by kind of that top line income growth and rent growth. And, and so if we're seeing incomes also grow, which they're, they need to still continue to pick up, it starts to make a little bit of sense because when you have market rent growths, Growing by you know fifteen to twenty percent, even thirty percent in some markets, you know, there's going to be a two to three year period of where in place rents get traded out, and you're simply doing a you know, mark to market strategy of just really bringing leases up to current markets, which you're already getting at, um, right. and so it creates a really different um, investment dynamic than we've really been living in over the past really decade or so, where you were really looking at value add strategies to needing to really force that appreciation to get that you know two hundred dollars of you know rent premium. That two hundred dollar rent premium is already built in just based on where the market has moved. 
And, and so you've seen that's led to the significant compression in cap rates because sophisticated buyers have seen where revenues are going to go. And all of a sudden, current cap rates don't matter as much because they're willing to pay up more for future growth. No doubt. And where that line is, that's what's, that's what's hard to figure out is how much growth are we actually going to see and for how long and, and who's willing to speculate and accept lower returns today for participating and getting a good deal maybe in the future. Yeah, to the point where I've never seen so many operators using bridge loans, so they have to bring less capital to close. And yep. so many guys really even bleeding cash in the first six months, yeah. in months, going negative in order to acquire the building. In again, proformaing out, projecting, in some cases, obviously speculating on those yeah. rentals that are three and four years out. And where's the top of the market? Like nobody knows. And every every operator, every buyer, every sponsor is going to have their different metric. I'm looking at a deal now that I just looked, just underwrote it again this morning and reviewed it with my team. And we see current in-place rents. This is in a really good part of Cleveland, but it's been owned by the same family for 60 years. Yeah. The rents are at least two or three hundred dollars below market value today. And it's in one of the top markets in the area where we can see rent bumps beyond that. It's hard to wrap my head around a possible $400 or $500 rent bump, but yeah. because they're already 20 or 25% what we see below market value today, what other people are charging today. And if we do a significant CapEx plan, we're going to be then in the top you know, 75% or 85th percentile when it comes to our rents compared to the rest of the market. So then you're going to see another $200 or $250 on the other side of the average, on the other side of the mean. And I'm trying to tell my team, like, are we really, are we really going to see a $400 rent bump in this market? And it's like, yeah, the numbers don't lie, man. They're there. We've never really seen that before, though. That's what's been difficult is catching up to today and looking to the future because things have moved so quickly. The ground's moving so fast underneath our feet. And if you're not really paying attention, you look at a headline number and saying, yeah, we're going to move rents $400 or you know, we're going to be whatever, 20, 30%. If you're looking at the mindset of 2019, 2020, like that, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's most of the aggressive numbers I've ever seen. And I've, you know, a lot of, you know, I know people are underwriting, you know, organic rent growth after the big lift of in the four to 5% range, as opposed to your typical 3% organic rent growth. You would have never seen that type of activity happen a couple of years ago. And, and it's because the growth is there, but this is also the environment that you know easily can lead to you know, to asset bubbles. Is when you see you know what kind of what asset classes do you want to be allocating to in an inflationary environment? When people have excess cash out there, savings are at all time highs, markets in general at all time highs. You know where do you go? Commodities, you know, might make sense, but they're not going to pay you any cash flow in the meantime. But when you think of multifamily apartments. Not only is it proven you know, hedge against you know, inflation, it's because we can track inflation on a daily basis. Because if you have a portfolio, you're signing new leases at new market rates on a daily basis. Right. There's very few investments out there in asset classes that even in commercial real estate that provide that kind of inflation hedging ability. And so we're going to see even more inflows into the space from other markets, new real estate investors, as well as investors who've been investing in, you know, retail and office who are, you know, very uncertain about those asset classes. I mean, we're, I think also we're going to probably see inflows from Asia and outside of the United States into U.S. real estate because there have been some outflows in recent years. I mean, people are going to be searching for a safe haven. Seeing the United States as a generally more stable economy compared to the rest of the world, 
and specifically multifamily assets as being this really unique asset class. So I think it's it's not going to be... It'll be an interesting couple of years. And I, when I see people paying these insane prices that I can't justify today based on just our metrics, I still say... And we just lost out on a big... Being a big... We heard about you know this this morning, lost out on a big deal. And I'm like, well, we, you know, we can't go there because you know it's just it, it's crossed our line in the sand. We've got to have, we've got to be disciplined. But at the same time, like that, it's they've got a good deal. It's going to be worth ten to fifteen million dollars more in five years from now. I know it is, and so we can't come up a million dollars or two million dollars. But you know, I still think in the long run, it's going to work out for them. It's just we've got our line in the sand and our criteria. So yeah, no, that was so well said. No sponsor. Thank you for that because high level summary. When you have office, retail, gotten pummeled, nobody knows if there's coming back, those dollars are going to go where? Multifamily, right? Multifamily is the darling asset of COVID. It performed well, even with the eviction moratoriums, rental, you know, uh, slush funds being set aside, it performed really well. There's going to be some, not a lot, but some upheaval in the resi space because those prices are going to top out. Yeah. And because there's going to be some additional foreclosure activity next year, when there is foreclosure activity, those people are going to move into apartments. And look, if there is any kind of chaos that it's the market, people living in A-class buildings are going to move to B-class. So B-class workforce is going to continue to do well. So for all those reasons, sure, you could see things continue to appreciate. But again, I love the fact that you said, we have a line in the sand. We're still not going to cross it. We got to be disciplined. Same here. It's a deal we just lost out on that we went all the way up from... We started at about 16, 17 million, if I remember. We ended up in the 20 million range, our final and best, and it yeah. traded at 21 and a half. And I'm still like, they still got a good deal. <laughs> yeah. like, good yeah. for them. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. But you know, I could see, I could see that value continuing to go up. So fantastic stuff. So Spencer, what is exactly your strategy? Help us understand your structure for a deal. So pref return, what type sure. of you like to buy. You mentioned staying disciplined. So disciplined to what exactly? What is your model? Yeah. So you know, I'll talk about you know our model that we've done in the past. And you know, when we move to the fund, it's going to be slightly different, but kind of very similar philosophy and you know in ideas. So we try to keep things you know pretty simple in terms of our deal structure. So we only offer you know one class of membership units into our projects. We offer a preferred return. It's been eight percent on our past three deals. It'll probably continue to be eight percent. Then we offer us, you know, 70, 30 LP to GP split after that. So pretty very vanilla, very straightforward, very familiar, you know, to a lot of many, many investors. In terms of kind of our our strategy and our risk profile, we're right in that light value add to core plus space, but really looking for assets that are we believe are under, undervalued or there's just some inefficiency in the market where we can find kind of a wedge opportunity to you know find some really great value you know some good bases and where assets that for one reason or the other maybe some buyers have just you know looked over or discounted or looking in markets that are just you know just overlooked at times um, and so you know a couple examples during covid last year we acquired an asset a newer asset built in 2018 but it was it recently come out of a lease up and it was a little bit more difficult to put financing in place they were bloated with concessions and marketing and admin budgets that you know were unnecessary but it was in Granger Indiana which is a submarket of South Bend and not as many investors were well, one it was in the middle of covid so no one was flying out to South Bend Indiana at that time so no one was even touring the asset so they just weren't from football so 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, that was the thing. It's, you know, people were like, well, I've never heard of Granger, Indiana, but it's like, well, you know, if you've heard of South Bend, it's literally 10, it's a 10 minute drive to, you know, Notre Dame's campus. It's actually a decent amount going on in the market, but just people were discounting it and we're not looking at it. And it provided an opportunity for us to get in, buying it under, under whisper price, which is not, it never happens now, you know, a, a year later. We paid $62 million for the asset. And today, if we, t- if we look at our, our trailing three-month NOI, and if we put kind of the market cap rate, if, even just being conservative, you know, putting you know, not up the four and a half of which we would have probably trade for today, but even a 5% cap rate, the value is you know, closer to $75 million over essentially a, you know, less than a year period. Just because we bought when no one else was looking, they were mispricing the asset itself. We saw a pretty clear trajectory to really not to take a lot of renovation risk. It was more, it was all operations. It was burning off concessions, running the property more efficiently. And we're going to be cash flowing over you know, double digits this year at a class A luxury asset that when you would look at it on its face value, you would just make an assumption that that's going to be a, you know, a low return asset because of, uh, of the quality but just finding those unique moments in time and just things that are discounted just because people aren't willing sometimes just to take the time to dig into it. I mean, just literally people just didn't want to fly out and, and, and tour through the property. They weren't willing to take a three-hour drive from Indianapolis or Chicago, and we were able to pick up a great asset. So just finding situations like that, and you know, we wish that there were more of them. That's, it's led to us doing you know, less volume because we're trying to find great deals, not just you know, and we have these conversations all the time. It's, you know, we don't want to do deals just to do deals. We'd rather just do only, you know, incredible deals and build a track record of having, you know, you know, just incredible results and, you know, finding great opportunities. And if we miss out on a deal that's on the margins, sure, we could have overpaid for it. But you know, then all of a sudden, we're just doing deals to do deals. And so that's what gets us excited is to find those inefficiencies in the market, those just unique opportunities where we feel like we're not taking as much risk as other strategies. Like we're not doing very large renovations, although we've, we've done those in the past and we've done full gut rehabs. But when we can find a deal where we can go in, create good cash flow from day one, really just tweak, really tweak the knobs, improve things, do targeted CapEx, we feel like it's a really great risk return profile. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that explanation. And yeah, I mean, there's different places to take risk, right? There's operation risk, there's CapEx risk, trying to get a deal to stabilization, refi risk. You got to pick and choose your battles, right? You got to get those risks limited. Today, we're really focused on acquiring buildings as many as we can that are stabilized, 90, 95 or more occupancy, but need that kind of light to medium value add where we can still get permanent financing, nine recourse uh, off the rip. And we can raise a little bit more capital with private investors so that if there is any kind of chaos in the market, I believe there's tremendous amount of upside. I'm very bullish like you are. 
but sometimes you just don't know what you don't know, yep. right? So we're talking more and more conversations with our staff about, look, Lehman Brothers took the whole market down. And you know you start to hear about some of these, these huge banks in China yeah. that in the 62 million vacant units they have, yeah. is it feasible? Is it possible that some of the banks and the developers in China could have some significant, significant disruption in the entire global economy? I don't know the answer to that. Wait, Josh, you're saying that we completely reset the full, the entire world economic system and there may be some hiccups in the next couple of years? You know, yeah. it, I mean, you would think so, right? Something that happened 10 years ago, right? Yeah. It happened. It ha- and why can't it happen again? And, some, and there's always something that we, that's present that we're not aware of. There's always those black swans that are out there and so much has changed so quickly with so many people, institutions, you know, either not catching up. And it just, we live in a different world in 2021, 2022. It's, it's completely different than it was two years ago. And we're not, I think most of us are still operating off of probably the old playbook. And I think very few really understand what, you know, the new playbook is. I don't think that the really, the, the Federal Reserve, you know, understands it. I mean, it sounds like, you know, they appear to be pretty behind the ball in terms of catching up with inflation. And trying to cover for saying, you know, how long can transient inflation be transient? If it's prolonged, it's kind of the opposite definition of, of, of transient. And, and so, you know, the leading economists that are supposed to be, you know, run, controlling the economy, they don't really under, they don't really know. They don't have the crystal ball. So, you know, it's, it's left to us as individuals to kind of figure it out and, you know, find those opportunities. But uh, Or let me add this. I wasn't going to go down this bunny yeah. trail. Let's go, Spencer. Yeah, let's do it. Or, right, the, the global Federal Reserve, the global central banks, yeah. and the governments are in a race to print money. They're all printing money. It's not just the US Federal Reserve, it's China, yeah. it's all the central banks, the European Union, all the central banks are all printing money at unprecedented rates. We have liabilities that none of these countries can afford. It's not just the United States, it's every single economy. They're all printing money. They all have liabilities that they can't afford. The only way out of it is inflation. Yep. So is it possible, which that's a, that's a loaded question, right? Is it possible that they want inflation, the Federal Reserve wants and is encouraging inflation on purpose because the lower the value of the dollar, the more that these liabilities the less these liabilities are because the dollar's worth less. My opinion is that the Federal Reserve is doing it on purpose. These supply chain issues are real. They're on purpose. I think Joe Biden is a puppet who is playing into it on purpose. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve knows exactly what they're doing, keeping interest low. And I also feel like the Federal Reserve is a private bank. Like it's all we all know, it's yep. owned by separate yep. people. It's not part of the federal government. And what it's allowing is by keeping interest rates low, it's allowing people that are already at the top of the pyramid, the top 1%, 5%, 10%, to borrow more money at cheaper rates to consolidate the wealth at the top. Now, the good thing for you and I, Spencer, is that we're in that group. We can borrow money at really cheap rates. We can buy assets at really cheap rates. And we can participate in that. The trouble is, and I think, is that the global middle class and lower class can't participate and things are going to get more wide and more disparaging between the upper class and the lower class. That is not good. And ultimately, I have a feeling that the Federal Reserve is actively allowing this to happen to dilute all the liabilities that are on the books and inflation is the only strategy they have. 
But a lot of people are going to get left behind, man. And I'm just afraid to see what that looks like. Yeah, I tend to agree with you 100%. And I, I don't think that's even you know a question of whether that it's the plan of the Federal Reserve to de- devalue the dollar and destroy the debt via inflation. I think mean, that is the stated plan. They've been saying for years, we need higher rates of inflation. Let's Instead of using a 2% target, now we're going for an average of 2% so we can run at you know, 4 or 5% you know, for years, because then we're going to take a long period to get a 2% average. And that's I tell my friends all the time, because you're absolutely correct. It's you know using the tools that the top one percent are using to accumulate significant amount of debt backed by real assets that are producing cash flow. You know we're using you know that strategy in the playbook that you know family offices and ultra high net worth individuals have been using for centuries. You know you know and beyond, and also looking at the playbook of the Federal Reserve, understanding what they're doing. And, you know, really trying to take advantage of it and exploit it. And I tell my friends all the time, you know, even if they, you know, aren't, you know, investing, it's no longer a question. You know, I feel obligated to say, look, if you're not investing in some kind of asset, you know, obviously I love real estate, but even in the stock market and equities, some kind type of, you know, asset that's going to at least track inflation and be able to grow over time. So if you're relying on your income and your wage, it is on a linear growth trajectory and these asset prices are going to be on an exponential growth trajectory. And because it that the difference between the folks who are going to, going to be left out is going to be tragic. And, un- and unfortunately, we've seen time and time again throughout history, you know, that leads to such great conflict. And so if we could build a more better civil society, you know, from the, the bottom up rather than the top down to educate people and say, you really have to start allocating yourself and you have to start thinking about the future and what's happening. And I feel obligated to, you know, tell people that I know, again, they may not be able to invest in our projects because we only allow accredited investors, but say, you know, look, you have to start getting yourself allocated to some type of assets. Um, no, no doubt. I mean, look, the dollar's down almost 5% with inflation, but crypto, cannabis, stocks, bonds, real estate, it's all up. The yep. money have to sit in cash, right? So it's got to get invested in order to keep up and, and outpace inflation. And I, I think that's great advice. And Spencer, let's just fast forward to that. Yep. Like you've had a lot of success now. 9,000 units, lots of syndications. You've raised lots of money standing up a fund. Looking back, you know, what would you do differently, if anything? What advice would you give to our audience or to your younger self? You look pretty darn young, by the way. Um, <laughs> Start young. You are young. Yep. That's one advice, piece of advice I would give our audience is start young. They don't have to wait. Yep. I mean, started investing when he was just out of high school. Yep. Um, and I'll, you know, we'll circle back on some of that introduction later. But what kind of advice would you give to yourself or our audience, whether it's navigating today's market or just some you know, early challenges that you face along the way? What would you do differently? I think that you know, the biggest thing is you know don't fall into you know, any your natural limiting beliefs of you know what can I do now what do I understand at this moment as opposed to what can I do in the future and what's possible and like when I talk to newer real estate investors and you know they talk about I've got this much money for a down payment you know what should I do I think it's important you know let's let's take a step back and let's like look at what, what is the your, the real long term goals here. What are the best investment strategies? And don't exist in the box of, you know, these are the resources that I have today. And more building the plan and then figure out what the pieces of the puzzles are of the puzzle is and start putting that piece, that whole that puzzle together and start painting that picture because there are opportunities out there that are going to be incredible. 
but that are going to be outside of your um, ability. I mean, if you don't have the foresight to say, all right, this is just a problem that in search of that we need to find a solution for, and it's 100% possible, we just have to, you know, whether it's building the right team, putting the right people together, you start doing bigger deals, you start growing faster. I um, mean, it includes being pretty uncomfortable sometimes because you're doing something you haven't done before, but just I would go bigger, you know, faster and um, just don't focus on what you can do today. Yeah, that's such good advice. That self-limiting belief is is so big. And I think the one thing to keep in mind is, look, almost every major deal, whether it could be a small restaurant, half a million dollar restaurant or a million dollar restaurant, uh, apartment building, an e-commerce business or a large social media platform, none of those deals were done with just the operator's cash. They were all done through some sort of joint venture, some sort of syndication, some sort of investor pool, some sort of group of people that came together. It could be four people. It could be 400 people. It could be four, whatever. In none of those circumstances did one person with just themselves and just their money get wealthy. It was always done through some sort of group, pool of investors, syndication, some sort of joint venture, some sort of network that made it happen. And so the pile got the pie got so much bigger that everybody was willing to take a smaller slice of a much larger pie yeah. versus hey i've just got my little slice of pie how you know uh, how much of this can i eat or how much of this can i invest that's a different in, uh, you know mindset i think that's fantastic advice spencer thank you for that no absolutely um, yeah, I, I think people don't think, believe that other people will believe in them necessarily. And who's going to give me money for a project and believe in me? But if you believe in yourself, there's the, the money's out there. I mean, it's just you, but you have to take the step and you have to ask for it. If you don't try to ask for it, you know, you never know what you can actually do. So yeah, might as well just get it. out there and try. Spencer, let's finish up with the final five. Yep. You ready for these? Let's do it. Let these super fast. All right, let's start with this. What's your absolute favorite way to find new deals? Favorite way to find new deals is we get a call from, you know, I love it from the owner directly, but even if it's from a broker saying, we've got the perfect deal for you guys, the seller needs to move incredibly quick. You guys are the buyer for it. We know that you've executed in the past, send over an LOI, we'll get the PSA wrapped up in a week or two and ready to go. Um, that's my favorite way to find new deals is because it's known, known broker relationship, ready to go, no bidding process. And, you know, just a nice little uh, matchmaking process. Nice. I love it. How about your capital stack? You said the accredited investors only. You're going yep. towards a fund structure, but you've done basically one-off type of syndications, one deal at a time. What's been your favorite way to fill up that stack? The favorite way to fill up the stack is really through a combination of a handful of large anchor investors, a few large family offices. You know, we're typically investing kind of one to two and a half million dollars. And then we've got a lot of investors who are investing, you know, fifty to two fifty. And because you know, I love working with the bigger, you know, the bigger groups. You can write the big checks. Obviously, it moves the needle. But I also we built this business and company to work with multiple investors and help individuals, you know, build portfolios and grow their wealth. So working with people who are passionate about investing in real estate, you know, we're never going to not do that. Even though we have investors who can write. $10 million check to get a whole deal done. We always, always, we always carve out a couple of million dollars for our own just group of individual investors. And so by having that kind of diverse pool, we feel we have a little bit more flexibility, different deals for different groups. And so we kind of like use take a little diversified uh, approach to building up the capital stack. I love it. Spencer, you've had a lot of success at a very young age. Who do you think had the biggest impact on that? Who's been the mentor that kind of stuck out that really moved the needle for you? Yeah. 
I've got a lot of good mentors today. You know, a lot of people that are in the industry, people who are you know still multiple steps ahead of me, but I've been able to benchmark. But uh, you know, if I had to think of the one person that really has influenced me, it's got to be my father. I saw him build a business as well growing up. You know, started from absolutely nothing. It's really taught me how to kind of think larger. I'm not thinking inside the box and led me down the path of entrepreneurship as the kind of the preferred option as opposed to, you know, go to school, get a degree, get a job. I was taught that was kind of plan B rather than doing your own thing, going off on your own. So very just fortunate to having that upbringing and kind of starting at a young age with, with that mindset. Yeah. I love it. We have so many things in common. My father, same thing. Cool. Entrepreneur. I got to witness him in the house, be an entrepreneur and and you know, and make one step, one move, one decision, one after the yeah. other. Build an amazing business. There's no better way to learn than to see it yourself. Last question, Spencer, is listen, you have a great business, you have a tremendous amount of success. Often when you sit in a CEO or a founder's role, it's hard to find free time to think and just sit and ponder and strategize. What's your favorite way to do that? What's your favorite way to carve out time to really think? several steps ahead to find yep. blind spots. How do you do that in your own business to make sure that you know you don't get caught, you don't get, you know, some unknown, some black swan, something like that comes up and, and kind of disrupts your business. Yeah. I love the outdoors. I do a lot of fly fishing as well as um, bow hunting. So you know it's 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 deer season right now uh, for for bow here in Indiana. And so you know going up and getting into a tree stand and sitting for, you know, three to six hours in, you know, absolute silence, just observing kind of nature around me is it's been an incredible opportunity to really sit there, think, decompress. So you're really forced to, you, you can't make any noise. You have to just observe. And so that, that's that been incredibly helpful. Not uh, bow season. You know, I, I do a lot of fly fishing as well. And it's, you know, similar experience. I do I don't I don't really play golf, but I, I do a lot of fly fishing. So that's kind of my kind of release to kind of get out there, get in nature, but also just, you know, decompress and strategize. Isn't it funny that when you're doing that, that's like when your best ideas pop yeah. in your head, right? Probably get your best bow stand versus sitting at your desk with your four, you know, four computers in front of you and looking at all your metrics. It happens out when you're away. So I encourage my audience to get away from the business, to not be just so dialed in, to just hustle, 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 to take time away, to think and strategize and actually go do something that's like mildly occupying, but not something you have to think too hard about. And that's ultimately where the best ideas kind of float in. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tell us where our group can find you. I'm sure our investors will and our audience will want to get a hold of you. Great Capital LLC, I know, has a fantastic newsletter. Tell us a yep. little bit more about where people can reach out. Yeah, greatcapitalllc.com is the website. I mean, yeah, you're welcome to sign up for our newsletter and you go there. There's a button to do that. We're also on all social media platforms. If you just Google Great Capital, we'll pop up. And yeah, and we'd love people to join the newsletter. We think it's one of the better multifamily newsletters um, really in the industry. Comes out every week, every Thursday. And we have a whole team that's basically aggregating every new research report or data set that comes out from, you know, whether it's the brokers, you know, the property management, you know, the real pages, the Yardy matrixes, really anything that's kind of like a hard research in multifamily real estate in the economy. We're aggregating that, sending it out every week. And you know, it's not it's no fluff. It's just like here's what's going on in the market. Let's keep you updated from a macro sense, but also micro. And it's we have great reception. Uh, people seem to really enjoy it. And, and so, yeah, go sign up. GreatCapitalLLC.com. Fantastic stuff. Listen, Spencer, thanks so much for popping on today. Appreciate you carving out some time. Hey, thank you, Josh. Really appreciate it. This is great. Well, hey, 
I really, really had a great time interviewing Spencer right there. Thank you so much for listening. Listen, don't forget to subscribe to Accelerated Real Estate Investor. Open up your phone, open up your laptop, your browser, and click the subscribe button now so you never miss another episode. Also, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. If we did a great job, tell us. If you hated the interview, tell us. Either way, I'd be so grateful to hear your feedback. And also, don't forget to join our free Facebook group. It's called Accelerated Real Estate Investor. You can find it in Facebook. You can join for free and get fantastic free content. Finally, don't forget to visit freelandventures.com slash passive, especially if you're a passive investor seeking your next investment opportunity. Just like Spencer and I talked about today, your money cannot sit in cash in today's environment. If you're sitting in cash, you're getting destroyed by inflation at roughly 5% right now per year. The dollar is being devalued. And so you have to get that money invested in order to keep up and surpass inflation to protect your family. So don't forget to visit freelandventures.com slash passive. Thank you so much for being here today. And we'll see you next time. Take care. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.